Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Life Over Coffee. I am Rick Thomas. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast, I am wearing a T-shirt that says Montana. The last couple of comments that I received on YouTube, they talked about the T-shirt that I was wearing. One of them said, I I like the T-shirt, not so much the message. So at least they were liking the T-shirt. And so I figured that I would represent Montana today. I'm supposed to be speaking in Montana in the summer of 2023. And so all you good people, in Montana. Uh, This one's for you. Now, I want to talk about this idea. Just when you thought things were going well, then boom, uh, everything changes in your life. And initially, that is not a good thing. And I know that many of you, if not most of you, that is part of your story. And so I want to talk about how God operates with unexpected purposes that come in unsuspecting moments. Now, he does this because he can observe our lives from an eternal perspective as he stands outside of time. His creatures, you and me, we have a limited field of vision that is no wider than what we can see in front of us. Now, indeed, we can reflect on what has happened and we can guess what may happen But we only have today's fleeting moments as we subjectively anticipate our next moves. But God operates on a different plane than you and me. There is always an otherworldly purpose behind his decisions, making it vital to discern what his goals, what his aims, what his purposes are for our lives. Now, as I was working through the book of Job, he was a person who was surprised in a moment and was knocked out of sequence. I started thinking about another suffering servant who seemed to be in a similar spot, blindsided while doing good. His name, his name is Jesus. And like Job, Jesus was an upright man, always doing good for others. He minded his business. I mean, more specifically, he was minding his father's business. Now, in a way, that's what we are doing too as Christians, as followers, Christians. We are followers of Christ. We are minding the father's business. That is our intent. And as far as Christ is concerned, it appeared that God's favor was all over him. So here is a person who is minding God's business, and God's favor is all over him. And as I was thinking about these things, I started looking into his ministry's early days, specifically his baptism that we see in Mark chapter 1. And I want to share part of that sequence with you. Because what we see there is John is baptizing Christ, and that was the preparatory steps for his expected and fabulous future ministry. And as I was studying this passage, I saw a similar thing happen to Christ that happened to Job. It was another out-of-the-blue moment, blindsided while doing good. Now, what I've done here is I've laid out seven verses that I want to share. I'm going to read them to you. And what I want you to do is to listen, and I want you to to tell me or tell yourself 
if you see what I saw when I read this passage. And so I want you to pay attention to the sequential logic of this passage. As you hear one verse, you should be able to predict what the next thing's going to happen on Jesus's calendar of events. For example, in verse 9 of Mark chapter 1, it says, Jesus came to be baptized. What do you think is going to happen next? Well, John is going to baptize him. That makes sense. And so as you listen to each verse, I want you to anticipate what will happen next based on what just happened and see if the passage flows linearly and logically. And so I want you to look for that for a disrupting surprise as God takes Christ off the expected path and drives him into a desperate hardship that we must believe is essential equipping for his future ministry. And so here are just a few verses from Mark chapter 1. I want you to listen to the sequential logic, and you'll see this disruptive moment where it just doesn't make sense what happened next. Verse number 9 says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Verse number 10, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Verse number 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Verse number 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness Verse 13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Verse 15, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This passage is just stunning, sobering, and even scary to me. The three verses that do not fit my logical expectations of what should happen next are verses 12, 13, and 14. I never anticipated Jesus going from experiencing God's pleasure, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, that happened at the baptism, to intense suffering in the wilderness. The Spirit drove him out into the wilderness right after God affirmed him and let everyone know that this is my beloved son. I saw the same thing in the book of Job. He, he was minding his business. He was making sacrifices on behalf of his sons. Job chapter 1, verse number 5. And then out of the blue, boom, Job lost everything. It was an incredible and unexpected transition from good to unabated horror. The shift from good to horrific seemed to occur in the blink of an eye. Jesus has spent 30 years preparing for his big moment on the public stage. There was nothing else for him to do, so it appeared. 
He was on the precipice of building his ministry. The Father affirmed him. John baptized him. He had made all the right moves, including being in favor with God and everyone else. Now it was time for him to swing into action. I'm ready to preach some good news. But the next thing that you would expect in the flow of thought would be for Jesus to step out of the water, stand on the banks of the Jordan, and tell everyone about how the kingdom of God was at hand. This juncture is where the Spirit of God threw me a curveball. He interrupted my thought process. He caught me off guard. Preaching the kingdom of God was not the next thing on the Father's calendar of events. The next thing was personal suffering for the Son of Man. The text says the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness where Satan tempted him for 40 days. The King James Version of this, the King James Version of the Bible says the Spirit driveth him. I like that. The Spirit driveth him. I can kind of see someone driving up and swinging open the passenger side door and saying, get in, we're going for a ride on the wild side. And that's where the text adds that there were wild beasts in the mix, along with ministering angels. It's an unexpected and unfathomable scene. You hear the echo of Job in this passage, the devastation of Job. The first time I saw these sequential verses this way, I was dumbfounded. It made me afraid. What was the point? Jesus seemingly had done everything he needed to do to be prepared to fulfill the will of his Father. Just when you thought it was safe to go outside, things turned dark and dangerous. And isn't this how it goes for most of us? We believe we're okay. We think we're ready for come what may. We even assume we know how things should move forward for us. I was sitting in Bible college preparing for ministry, and then boom, out of the blue, my life flipped on its head. The logical flow became illogical, and I was confused. How often are our expectations dashed like this? The newlyweds expect to live happily ever after The new convert expects all things to work together for good. The wife expects her husband to love her well forever. The husband expects his wife to respect him forever. The children expect their parents to represent Christ honorably. A healthy person expects a few more years of good living. Then God throws us a curveball. We do not enjoy it because we're now toiling under the burden of unforeseen and unwelcome hardships. These surprises can be devastating and discomfitting to the person with a limited view of God's sovereignty, His unwavering goodness, and an inaccurate theology of suffering. When you thought the sailing would go smooth, the Father throws turbulence your way. And while I don't want to make you suspicious or paranoid, every time you hear the wind blowing, I think it would be wise for all of us to grapple sufficiently with the mysteries of God before your next trial could be the one that brings clarity to who you are, who He is, and into a fuller worship experience. We see this in Matthew 8. 
And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. There is this similar kind of sequential discomfitting there. I'm sure the disciples anticipated what was going to happen next. We are following Christ. We're getting into the refuge of the boat. We're going to travel across the water and everything's going to be okay. And just right then, the wind starts blowing and their whole world starts to turn in a way that they did not anticipate. I was so shocked by Mark's passage in chapter 1 because it mirrored the plans that I had laid out for my life. I am a sequence kind of guy. The Lord regenerated me, and I went to Bible college, intending to go into the ministry. Upon graduating, I would land in a pastorate somewhere, and the beat would go on. Unexpectedly, God threw his curveball my way, and I was out of the ministry, just like that. My fundamentalist Bible college said I could no longer preach. My new role was passing out Bible tracts for the rest of my life, and that was the ceiling of my ministry experience from that point forward, nothing more. They had a one-strike-you're-out policy for any person going through a divorce. I had never been so sure of anything like attending that school, learning the Bible, becoming a pastor. And all of that ended at 5.05 p.m., April the 8th, 1988. God did call me into the ministry. Now, that is an ambiguous term that we apply to an internal sense of a higher calling. We use the phrase, God called me into the ministry, as kind of overworked at this point. But many of you have that sense, that internal aspiration to do more than you're presently doing. Well, I had that internal aspiration. But what that means today from what it meant back then when I was in Bible college, it has drastically changed. And the route to get to where I am today was circuitous, not straight. The pathway for Christ's future ministry was similar. Job made his plans and God disrupted those too. I am sure it was not a straight line if you look at your journey to where you are now. It's easy to forget the simplest things like we make our plans, but God orders our steps. We can confidently define our next steps, forgetting the words of James, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. My circuitous journey to fruitful ministry was not just about rerouting me to show that God's in charge. That's a perspective that sounds more like a petulant game of a teenager who wants to pull rank to show who's the boss. God does not play childish games. When he grabs your attention by taking you to the wilderness to walk with him on the wild side, you better believe there are more in-depth complexities that he's inserting into you or digging out of you. God's excavations and installations don't happen quickly or easily or pain-free. He must pull you away for a season to do this more profound work that can only happen in the fires of the crucible. You see, I was a hardcore fundamentalist who loved the rules. Being reared by a conditional daddy who would beat me if I stepped out of line. 
It was a potent shaping influence being reared that way as a child, and I was a quick study of the regulations of legalism, and I appreciated every single rule. I love the rules. I didn't want to make a mistake. I didn't want to fall out of favor with God or my peers. But I did not understand how fundamentalism is a straitjacket religion that binds precious souls and rarely exports well to the next generation. Fundamentalism makes you religiously weird and socially awkward. Mercifully, God loved me so much that he wanted to give me something better, but he had to make an extraction out of a legalistic culture to set me on a new path. And so he yanked me out of my predetermined sequence, and he blew up my plans and ripped me down to the dirt and began rebuilding a new kind of person, headed in a direction that I had no, no clue that it existed. Nobody knows us as God does, and nobody knows what we need like Him. If the Father was to leave us to our preferences, there is no question we would miss out on some of the most essential and satisfying blessings of our life. Our inherent desire is to avoid the dark seasons of our lives. I understand who's looking for trouble, who has a death wish. Even though there is a maturing element to the suffering that is essential if any of us are going to be used by the Lord in a substantial way, we don't have to enjoy it. And though we shouldn't, we should not ask for suffering, and we definitely shouldn't live our lives under a cloud of paranoia, it would serve us well to have a biblical perspective on personal pain. Changes, challenges, complexities are not an anomaly in God's economy. Suffering is a gift. Suffering is a promise. Suffering is a calling from God. Have you ever heard the expression, just when things were going well, the other shoe fell? It's a cynical meaning. It conveys the idea of having your life the way that you want it, then suddenly from out of nowhere your life goes awry, like golden locks finding the perfect bed only to be awakened and be alarmed by a family of bears. Some people live in a pessimistic worldview, paranoia accompanied by a morbid expectation that God is out to get them. I'm sure that their shaping influences have been horrible. Mine were. Cynical expectations are a freedom-sapping mindset that marginalizes the power of the gospel in anyone's life. In the Savior's most famous sermon, he told us what to expect from his Father, carefully distinguishing how he is not like our earthly fathers, even the good ones. This is how he said it in Matthew 7. Which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or will he give him a serpent if he asks for a fish? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is heaven, who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is teaching us that if there is trouble in our lives, we should find assurance that the Lord is there and he is writing something good into our stories. We must trust him while responding biblically to the things that are not going as we had hoped. 
Our view of the Father must rise higher than our shaping influences and our disappointments. The Bible must inform us who God is rather than the negative things that have formed us to think cynically about life, especially when things are going badly. Personal suffering is one of the most often means the Lord implements into our lives to accomplish His purposes with our lives. You see one of the most profound illustrations of this in the suffering Savior. Hebrews 4.15 talks about it as well. Jesus experienced severe temptations, making him a sympathetic to our troubles and the best example to learn how to respond to the surprising trials that come as we see in Mark's sequence in chapter 1. Sovereign Lord was not only in the suffering of Jesus, but he caused it. And as the pain escalated in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked for a way out of it. But he quickly submitted himself to the shaping of his father's hammer. It is possible you did not anticipate the trouble that you are experiencing. God did. He ordained it because of the need to fulfill his plans for you. One of the most influential and profound lessons you'll ever learn is how to steward the suffering God permits in your life. To fall short of this, wis- of this wisdom is never to realize all God could do to you, through you, and for others. Those who miss God's transformative lessons will grow a garden of bitter herbs in their hearts. The suffering should shape us into humble and pliable souls as we learn to rejoice in the darkness. The pain will reshape us into rejoicing lights that radiate the glory of God. The passage in Mark says some angels ministered to Jesus while he was suffering in the desert. It was not just him drive, the Spirit driveth him on the wild side. There is a glorious paradox here. God ministers to those in need, a core tenet of the gospel. God helps the needy. If most of us were honest, we would prefer not to suffer. I, I, I get it. Which means we would be willing to forego a rich experience with the Lord that can only come through disappointment and challenges. And so I plead with you to reconsider if this applies to you. It's not wrong to attempt to extricate yourself from your trouble, but it is wrong to miss the Lord's purposes for your problems. As Christ began his public ministry, the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness for essential testing. At the dawn of Job's book, we see another man setting forth on a dangerous journey. The tested man or woman who the Lord has transformed through testing is the most qualified person to be redemptive in the lives of others. Suffering is the path that leads to public ministry and your greatest usefulness to God and others. The people in the Bible that God used the most were those who suffered the most. Nothing will challenge you more or let you know where you stand with the Lord and others than how you respond to your trials. Jesus placed a death call on our lives. Knowing that the only way to experience the richness of God and the fullness of ministry is denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, and following Jesus for a walk on the wild side. Jesus said it this way, and you'll find these words later on in Mark. Uh, This is Mark chapter 8. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him 
deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. I've titled what I'm sharing with you here, Just When You Thought Things Were Going Well. And so if you would like to read what I've just shared with you or listen to the podcast or watch the video, we have all of those things collected in our coffee shop on one page, and it's an article that's titled that way, Just When You Thought Things Were Going Well. I know that you know some people who are going through suffering. Maybe it is you. But in addition to you, you know others. And perhaps this would be a good resource for you and them, hope and help for you and for them, and you are welcome to share it uh, with anyone that you wish. If you are going through a difficult time, I wish I could make your trouble go away. Sometimes our problem is as surprising to us as what happened to Jesus in the early episode of Mark's narrative. You never saw it coming. The other shoe fell when everything was going fine. And now you're out for the count. Is your trouble drawing you closer to the Lord? Ultimately, that is the real test. When I lost my family, I was drawn to the Lord initially. But then as the problem never changed, I began to drift from God. And I'm not, that's not a recommendation. This is not a teaching moment per se. But that is what happened. The longer the trial stays, you could be like that, where you're not drawing toward God anymore. But God is a persevering God, and he continued to work in my life. And eventually, I came back to the Lord. And so if you're going through a hard time, the test is, is your trouble drawing you closer to the Lord? But you may be at that place where the trouble has persisted for so long that you find yourself drifting. Maybe what you're hearing here uh, is God's call on your life to come back to Him. And so I would encourage you to find this article, podcast, video, and that you go through it and then drop down to the end of it and work through the CTAs that I have. And we have CTAs at the bottom of virtually all of our articles. And I wanna share uh, the CTA at the bottom of this one, the call to action. Number one, what are you going through right now? Do you have a competent friend to help you work through your present distress? Sanctification is a communal event. It's not wise to isolate when trouble comes. When your faith is weak, you want to lean onto the faith of others under, under you. Lean, lean on their faith to regain your spiritual equilibrium. And that's what happens sometimes. With the temptation is to isolate and to withdraw from community. And so if you're going through a difficult time now, this is one of my appeals to you. That sanctification is happening and sanctification is a community event. And when your faith is weak, you want to lean on the faith of others, and they will help you to regain your spiritual equilibrium. Number two, how are you responding to your trial? Your response to your trial will give you clues as to where you are. I thought I was somewhere where obviously I was not. When the heat came into my life, it revealed a lot of things about me that were insidious and dark. 
that was not spiritually right. And God began to bring the heat into my life, and those things were bubbling up to the top, and I did not like what I saw. But that's okay. Do not be discouraged if you're not what you thought you were. I definitely was not. It was a recalculation of my mind. It gave me a new starting point. And knowing your starting point is vital because it will help you to accurately assess your, your true spiritual condition to bring about proper soul care. And so my first question to you, what are you going through right now? Would you get a friend to help you? Number two, how are you responding to your trial? Because that will give you an accurate starting point so you know the true condition of your heart. Number three, is your heart guarded against the traps of grumbling and bitterness? That is a, that is a surefire temptation when, when the pressures are mounting in your life. The grumbling tongue comes from the angry heart. And so when the pressures are squeezing us, something is going to come out of us, and it will either look like edification and rejoicing and, and gratitude and humility, or it's going to look like various forms of pride and bitterness and grumbling and complaining and disunifying kinds of speech and cynicism and other forms of anger. How you talk to others about your troubles reveals your heart. Again, it will give you the better or an accurate assessment of where your starting point is. And so listen to your word choices as you talk about the pain in your life. They will help you to accurately assess yourself. Number four, what has the Lord revealed to you about yourself? Perhaps expressing gratitude to the Lord for this deeper level understanding of yourself would be spiritually productive. With the correct data, you're ready to do the soul work, making the changes you would not have known about without the trial. As I look back on it, I, I realize, as I talked earlier, I, I was a person who was shaped by a mean, awful man. And so I learned to value or I learned to understand conditional relationships, which taught me to obey the rules. And so I was a perfect fit into a legalistic religious culture. But God loved me too much. It's like, you know, I'm moving you out of that. I have moved you out of your childhood and you're born again. And now you're in a legalistic religious culture. I'm still loving you and I'm going to move you out of that as well. Because you need to live in a gospel-centered worldview, not a rigid, rule-bearing one. And so God made that extraction in my life. And so my question number four is, what has the Lord revealed to you about yourself? Now, maybe you're not seeing as clearly now as you will in the future, but I do want you to know as you continue to persevere with God, there will be more clarity about what is going on in your life right now. Now, if you do have clarity, if you have a, a new redefined starting point in your life, question number five is, how do you need to change? 
knowing that to change, you're ready for a practical action plan. And so what is one thing that you can begin changing today? Is there one thing that you know that you can change today that will just move you as we're baby stepping forward, that will just move you a little bit forward in your sanctification process with the Lord? Now, if you know what that thing is, then I would encourage you to share that with a friend. Say, hey, this is what God is teaching me, and this is what I'm learning about myself, and I know that this is what I need to do, and so I want to gain pre-accountability. That is pre-accountability. I am going to tell you what I am going to do. Uh, And so you're asking them to come in, and so you're gaining that accountability before you even start. Again, if you want to read what I just shared with you, all of it, just look for just when you thought things were going well at our coffee shop, which is lifeovercoffee.com. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com. 